bourbon lovers, let's talk bourbon. My name is Jesse Jones, and this is the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. On today's episode, we have Eric Wolf of Stoll and Wolf Distillery out of Pennsylvania. Him and I, we get we get to talking, man, and this thing goes in every direction you can think that a conversation could possibly go. Had a fantastic time talking to him. I mean, this guy knows his stuff. He is creating some delicious juice up in Pennsylvania, and him, we really we go over everything. We discuss legendary distiller Dick Stoll and how he partnered with him to create Stolen Wolf Distillery. We talk bourbon history. We talk the state. We talk Broken Lizard. We talk New York. We talk surfing. And of course, that delicious whiskey he is distilling in Pennsylvania. This episode has it all, people. So if you would, please listen to the entire thing because it goes for a while and it's pretty kick-ass if I say so myself. So we want to thank him for being on the show. We want to thank him for producing the spirits that he produces because they are phenomenal. The rye that this guy's making is absolutely out of this world. Probably one of my favorite ryes that I'm drinking right now. I can drink it any time of day. That sounds bad. That sounds like a problem, but I I don't care. It's that good. And the bourbon, also phenomenal. It's just everything that's coming out of Stolen Wolf is freaking amazing. So I thoroughly enjoyed talking to him. I thank him for his time. I think you guys are really going to like this episode. He's got so much to say and is so smart about how he says it. So without further ado, everybody, let's get ready for some show because this is Eric Wolf of Stolen Wolf on the Bourbon Showdown podcast. Let's start it up. Thank you very much for being on the show today. Oh, man, my pleasure. I uh, oh, Again, I always enjoy talking about this stuff. And my wife's glad to have a break of being talked at about it so mm-hmm. it's uh you're doing a public service <laughs> <laughs> my wife feels the very same way she uh I, i'm talking all these whiskey people and she's just blank staring me after about two people she's like I, yeah yeah go go talk to one of them if you want to exactly. talk about it exactly so yeah no it's uh it's it's great thank you for the opportunity all right. Well, thank you for being on. Uh, when we put together the list of people we wanted to talk to for this first season, uh, one of the names that came out was you guys for your delicious rye that you've been putting out. Wow. Thank you very much. And also the history of of your distillery, like not not just the distillery, but the, the area that you're distilling in. Uh, maybe if we could just get started right away, you could walk me through a little bit of um, Stolen Wolf, how that came to be, and specifically uh, the history of the land around Stolen Wolf and how you came to work with the legend that is Dick Stoll. Sure. Wow. Okay. Fantastic. So, for us, um, it's it's really been an amazing journey and a great honor. Um, a lot of folks aren't aware, but um, according to the National Register of Historic Places, the oldest whiskey distillery in the country was just seven miles from here. And it was what was ultimately known as Nictors uh, in its, its last incarnation. And the last master distiller to work there for the last 40 years of, of the distillery's operation was Dick Stoll. Dick unfortunately passed away this August, but 
his contributions to the whiskey world were were sort of widely uh, widely known and and appreciated. But unfortunately, he had been out of the distilling game since I believe '89. So for us to be able to be partnered with him and be able to rekindle that legacy and, and make sure that that knowledge continued has really been a labor of love. And it was the kind of thing where a gentleman by the name of Ethan Smith connected us. And even though Dick was the most analog guy ever, we were connected digitally. Uh, he did not have an email address, his wife did. So um, we were we were connected that way. And I, I was just so blessed, um, as is my wife and, and my father, Jim Wolf, who works with me as well, to really study at the feet of, of a master like Dick Stoll. And I, I can't, um, I can't tell people enough how encouraging he was about everything that we did and, and just how, even though he knew that, that there was a, a very rich um, and very historic legacy and that he was human. He was the first person to say that, that he wasn't going to live forever, even though he knew he had a lot to pass on and a lot to teach us and a lot to preserve. He never made us feel pressure about it. He never made us feel like we were doing anything but honoring him and, and really um, just just encouraged us at every step of the way. So it, it really has been um, a journey of discovery. Uh, thankfully, we didn't know um, what we didn't know before we got started. Um, it's it's definitely been uh, been a long journey to get here, but super, uh, super rewarding just based on the feedback we get from folks on trying the product and, and also just hearing about, about Dick's story and hearing that um, they, they're, they're sad that they never got to meet him, but very thankful that, that his legacy is being preserved. So for us, um, I'm from Lancaster County originally. Um, my family's been here since about the 1740s. Um, we didn't get, get necessarily very far. Um, and again, because our family's been here for so long, a lot of us are somewhat interrelated um, in Lancaster County. So figured best to leave my ancestral homeland to uh, to seek out a partner so as not to marry a cousin. <laughs> so uh, yeah, when, when I was living in New York, I was working in restaurants as, as was Aviana and, and we met there. And, and for us, um, working in, in the hospitality industry and just the the joy of, of storytelling that, that ultimately leads to that sensory experience of food or spirits or that sort of physical grounding of that storytelling for us was was always very exciting. And when I found out that that there was such a rich history in an area that I grew up in, it was one of those things where it, it just seemed, it, it sounds crazy to say, but it just seemed like fate and it seemed like something we we had to do. So, so we moved back from Brooklyn to, uh, again, my ancestral homeland here in Lancaster County. And, um, yeah, we, it's been, uh, been a very wild ride. Um, but again, with, with Dick's knowledge, um, to, to have somebody who can tell us sort of what, what we're shooting for the, the thing with distilling that is, is great, but also very challenging is that, it's something that when it comes off the still, it, it's got one set of flavor characteristics and that's great, but you need to know the set of flavor characteristics you're looking for to age out. And it's very right. difficult to hit that mark if, if you don't necessarily know going in. And, and I'm amazed by, by my colleagues and, and the um, quality of products that they turn out and 
how how great it is. I was so thankful to have somebody like Dick say, "You're headed in the right direction. This is what we should be laying down. This is what this is what you're you're looking to do." Um, to to really give us that that confidence in in what we were doing. And again, as well as as sort of preserving that legacy, he was trained by Charlie Beam, correct? He was. So, and and Dick was. It's interesting. I asked him how he set out to become a master distiller, and he just laughed. and And it was one of those things where he uh, he said he didn't. It it sort of found him. And Dick was uh, Dick was a great guy. He he was in um, the Korean War and and worked. Um, he was in the Navy. So the Navy, right? Yep. On, yeah, worked on the forerunner of, of jets. So he was a mechanic and, and a very mechanically minded guy. Came out of, of the Korean War and there was a lot of unemployment just because there were so many folks returning from the war effort. And he uh, went to the local unemployment office. They told him there was a place looking for somebody to help dig dig a ditch. So he went there, even though he had just been working on one of the most technologically advanced machines in the world at that point. No problem. You need a ditch dug. That's what I'll do. And they said to him after he was there that, you know, you're the only guy that showed up on time every day, worked really hard, and you don't drink on the job. The hole we're digging here is for a foundation for a distillery that's being restarted. Would you be interested in, in working here? So he literally worked from the ground up at that place. And, and I think it really affected his ethos in, in distilling as well, where he started in in digging the, the foundation for the expansion and Literally. then worked in every aspect of the place from the barrel warehouse through aging to, to head of maintenance. And, and that's ultimately how he got into distilling was Charlie Bean said the same thing. He's like, you work really hard. You show up every day. You don't drink on the job. Apparently drinking on the job is like a big thing back then. I mean, right. Right. That era. So, um, <laughs> I'm surprised it's not now. Yeah, it's, well, really, I know. It, well, in 2020 with home uh, home working, it's, uh, well, I guess if it's in a coffee cup, yeah. uh, let's assume you're, you're just caffeinated. <laughs> um, so with, uh, with Dick knowing the distillery so intimately from the inner workings of it and the mechanical aspect of it, he, he, really was a, a true craftsman and understood so much about the mechanical operation, which which really influences the end product so much. And, and that's something that he always encouraged us to to be aware of and, and to know. And, and I think certainly is a throwback to another era where you you can trust the instruments that you have, but knowing why they're reading what they are and knowing the, the foundations of, of why they even exist is is so important and and he really instilled that in us quite a bit and that's exactly what you need especially if you're going to be putting out a a craft like a craft spirit that you he's i I, very sad to hear of his passing uh, in august but now that knowledge that he's passed down to you without him you might have just been looking at the dial and reading it and not understanding why you weren't getting the results that you wanted due to his knowledge bestowed upon you you now can take it apart and put it back together if you have to no that that's exactly it and and we're very fortunate in that it was funny dick dick was such a um such a, a knowledgeable guy about so many things and i remember when we were discussing starting the distillery i I'd talked to him about an rfid program where we would track every barrel and then we'd really look at, at the best barrels and try and figure out 
exactly why they got that way in, in terms of temperature and humidity and, and and the aging process. And he just laughed and, and was like, well, I don't don't really know what you're going to do with that information. And I, I was like, OK, you know, I'm, I'm explaining this to somebody of another generation. Let me explain it a little bit better, a little bit clearer. So I sort of did the, the tourist thing where you speak slower right, and louder. Right. To, he looked at me and was like, no, I understand what you're saying. I don't think you understand what I'm saying. He was so kind in doing it. But his point was, okay, you have that information. How are you going to recreate those conditions? And in that moment, I sort of realized, um, you know, usual suspect style. Okay, I'm the one here who, yes, he he does know exactly what he's talking about. And I have a lot to learn from. These guys are so sick. Yeah. And and that's the thing that, that he was also very encouraging about was just that he knew and and was was very cognizant of the fact that he knew what he knew and it was a lifetime journey of acquiring that knowledge and that had he lived another 10 years he would still learn through those 10 years and that so much of, of this journey is, is a continuation of the journey and that when you're learning about about producing whiskey it's you're never finished there's always more to learn and i think as a as as somebody who really geeks out about the the technical details of it it's just so exciting that you could do this every day for the rest of your life and never acquire all the knowledge there is about it um and then there's sort of the old saying that you know if you want 12 different opinions ask nine different distillers and you'll get 12 different opinions so it's, it's always uh always interesting and, and always great to speak with other distillers um and and be able to to learn from them as well um and and that's something oh i'm sorry please no no it, it, that's been one of the coolest parts about meeting all these different distillers and learning the stories of all these different distilleries, the community that you guys have is amazing. Like nobody's out to do anything, but help the other guy, like making the best juice possible seems to be everybody's main goal. And if there's something they can do to help, they all seem more than ready to roll up their sleeves and help you out. Uh, it's so true. I mean, we, we've been so blessed with with the folks who who've stepped up and, and offered their knowledge to us. And I think there's there's also um, there's the understanding that if I took the exact same still and recipe and I moved it five feet to the left, it would be different. So I think with a lot of folks, too, they realize that they're helping improve the quality of the overall industry, which helps all of us. And also so much of the reason they do what they do is to see a quality product in the end of it. Um, so it, it really is amazing to, to hear other folks' insights and, and for them to share themselves so freely when in theory, they're your competition. And, and in reality, I mean, we, we act much more like colleagues and it's, it's really great. I mean, it's uh, it's also um, a challenge in that with so much of distilling, um, there's there's a lot of engineering involved. And just when you get everything tuned the way you want it, it's like an Italian sports car. It just then starts to drift out. So it's always, <laughs> I, we were in a distiller's group online the other day. Someone was saying that one of the most intimate friendships that they formed throughout all this was their boiler tech. And the person who services the chemicals to their boiler to make sure it doesn't rust. And, and it's so true. It's 
like an army marches on its feet or on its stomach. I'm sorry, not on its feet, good grief. That, that was the lesser known Napoleon quote. <laughs> it's not nearly quoted as often. Um, but but like a, an army marches on its stomach, a boiler, or I'm sorry, a distillery operates on the boiler. So uh, if, if you have a steam-powered distillery like we do, where there's so much um, sort of viscera and so much mechanical aspects to it that it's so much fun to geek out about the mash bill and the recipe and the the flavors and the aromas, but it's also equally fun to sort of geek out about how you create those and, and the mechanical steps that, that you go through to make those happen. Um, and, and in so much of sort of both um, processing Dick's passing as a, as a person and also um, just sort of uh, uh, dealing with it as, as a fellow whiskey lover, I am very thankful that I have the process of making whiskey to to turn to where I, I was joking with Dick's wife, um, Elaine, that I can hear him and, and see him smiling and just saying, get the hell back to work. Like, I, he, he was just that kind of guy where it, um, it, it's very comforting to have that repetitive process and that tradition to turn to in a crazy, crazy year. And, and then his passing within the, that crazy year. But again, the, the crazier things have gotten in the outside world this year, the more I appreciate the ability to control time and temperature and fermentation and, and the, you're, I think if, if you talk to a lot of brewers and distillers, there's there's a small desire to play God there in a little way, in, in their tiny environment. Or, or maybe not play God, but to have a sense of control. Over nature, especially. Over nature. And then the best part of it is, I have friends who are, who are woodworkers or, or friends who can do amazing things with, with cars or, and it's amazing. And, and when you're sitting on a bench that somebody made and, and you know that they cut down the wood and they seasoned it and you appreciate it so much more, it's so nice as a distiller that the product and, and the end of that labor, which you enjoy in and of itself is something that traditionally brings people together and it's something that's shared in sort of celebratory moments of their lives or I mean we, we get emails from people where they'll say you know I my kid was born and this is what we we toasted with or my son turned 21 and this is what what I was able to share with him and to us knowing that that we're part of those memories and, and creating sense memories with with the spirit is 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 really exciting and and really um uh, a testament to, to everything Dick did it, as well to create that legacy. Most definitely. And uh, what you're selling is, is a good feeling. Like anyone that opens a bottle of your product, like they're going to feel better than they did prior to opening that bottle. It's the smiles that you're bringing. Uh, yeah. A buddy of mine, he surprised me. He, I told him he's from Pennsylvania and I told him I was interviewing you today and you guys released your uh, Dick Stoll birthday um, yeah. last week. And he told oh. me that he got up and, and bought me a bottle at 9am right when it went on sale. So glad to hear that. And, and it, uh, uh, what a great friend. And I immediately was happy. Like, like oh. it was, it's on its way to me now. And, and I'm sitting here talking to you and it's everything you're saying, the experiences that you're giving people and the memories that you're creating for them. Uh, it's, it's just a completely as, as sensory 
as your whiskey is from smell to palate to finish. It's the same with the idea of what you're creating when you when you give it to somebody or or they celebrate with it. You know. Oh, thank thank you so much. That that's so great to hear, and that's exactly it. It's. Um, it, the the craft side of it and, and the production and sort of the, the there's that ongoing joke amongst distillers that there's a meme where it's what my friends think I do and it's it's Harry Potter or some other some other wizard uh, doing something fantastical and it's what I actually do and it's it's a basically janitor or just someone cleaning and and that's that's so accurate where there's so much work that goes into making a product that no one ever sees. And, and that's great that I'm happy to do that. But I'm also very happy that there's the other side where, where we do get to sit down and I'm not covered in mash and we get to enjoy. And, and, and even um, the, the rediscovery of not only the history of the whiskey industry, but the enjoyment of it as well, where there was certainly a period in, in alcohol in, in the United States where it was a delivery device for the feeling of, of relaxation that came with it, where I feel like there's been a rediscovery of the flavor that, that's behind it and of an appreciation for the ability to dissect the art form in a certain way, where if you have a vocabulary, um, a, a lot of which was developed with wine and craft beer, some of the coffee world, where once you have a sort of agreed set of terms or, or even a path to discuss them, it's amazing what can come out of tastings and, and just the ability to sort of truly geek out about it and democratize the process where we're not snobs, we're not discussing things that are unattainable or unrealizable by, by most people. We're just taking something that is a truly American art form and and taking it off its pedestal and and using things like aroma and um mouthfeel and and other sensory experiences from it to further appreciate it not not to necessarily um edify our own ego and and show how much we know to other folks but more to connect and and see if if someone else is experiencing it in the same way and aroma is such a powerful memory and it can really just transport you that we've we've had um again folks reach out and, and just tell us that they were temporarily sort of transported back to certain places where again it, it it's such a powerful uh experience the best compliment you can receive. And one of my favorite things about this entire community, you just said it a moment ago, other areas can have sort of a snobby reputation. You do not get that with bourbon. I, I feel like anybody, you could you could walk into any group of guys that are tasting bourbon and, and nobody's trying to one up one another. You're just gonna sit there and you're gonna hear them literally trying to break it down verbally in a way that they're either agreeing with or disagreeing with, but there's like a complete community vibe when you get those guys together. They might not have known each other before they opened that bottle. And now they're sitting there tasting it and it's, it's complete, friendship through bourbon uh, as they enjoy it together. Oh, no, that, that's a great point. And it, it's so true. I mean, it's for us um, really exciting to be part of, of that process for a lot of folks. And, and we talk about it when, when folks come to visit the tasting room all the time and, and encourage them to sort of geek out and let their guard down 
about that. And a lot of folks have more experience with sense memory than they realize. So we just do whatever we can to sort of encourage them to tap into that. And a lot of what folks are experiencing, whether they're new to, to the experience or have been doing it for a while, everybody gets something different out of it, but there's always that shared experience as well. There, there's the common notes that, that folks can draw out of it. And for us, one of the most exciting things is hearing the diverse things that people pull out of the flavors in whiskey. There, there's always the common notes and then we, we love to see, too, you have people sitting next to each other doing a, a tasting of the flight, and they will, they will debate, I won't say argue, debate with one another as to which is better, as if it's a, as if there is a better or worse amongst where, it, it's so interesting, some folks with the bourbon really enjoy the sweetness of, of the bourbon, and, and with rye, it tends to appeal to folks that like a little more spice. But you hear some right. folks say, oh, the spice, and then they'll interrupt and go, is what's ruining it? And they're like, no, that's what was making it for me. And it's so interesting with palate too, how folks, we talk about palate, and, and I know I do it as well, as if it's an ecstatic thing, where depending on, and, and you're drinking water now, which I should be doing more of, but when, when we don't hydrate properly, things have a tendency to taste a little bit different or depending on what you've eaten uh, prior to that. Or if you happen to be in a room where there's a, a certain smell or, or someone happens to have a cologne on, it can influence those those other aromas or flavors. So, totally. Yeah. which And I'm sure you've had that happen when you taste a whiskey one day and it, it you have certain feelings toward it and then you taste it again. And maybe it has oxidized more in the glass. Maybe it has oxidized slightly in the bottle. But in a lot of ways, it's, you know, they say you never step in the same stream twice. You're, you're sort of bringing a unique palate to, to that tasting every time. And, and it will always have certain commonalities and similarities. But it, it's fun in, in that way as well. And then the invariable question that we get is, well, okay, so what's your favorite whiskey? That's what we want to drink. Right. And, and as we explain to them, it's like picking a favorite child where they're all different. They're all sort of unique in their own way. And of course, do you have a favorite? No. But, <laughs> but so much of it, in, and, and much, like, much less like a favorite child and much more like a favorite outfit or, or uh, album or it, it's so dependent on the setting where what's the temperature like? What's the season? What are we having with it? Is someone else bringing a bottle of something else that you're going to then taste afterward? So it's, it's so, um, it, it's so interesting to see folks and, and wherever they're at on that journey to help nudge them a little further along. And, and also that, that takes us further in our journey as well. So totally. it's a lot of fun. Oh, I can only imagine. Uh, I, I the awareness you have too. I, I, I love the uh, not like I was speaking with Widow Jane a couple weeks ago. Oh, Lisa's the best. She will. Oh, she's amazing. Uh, so smart. Uh, but she was telling me she will not wear uh, the shampoo she uses is unscented. The perfume, no perfume on days that she's testing. Like anything that could possibly. Uh, affect the nose or, or or get into the sinuses that could hurt her ability to taste what she's putting out. It, it, it's, it's 
just so interesting to hear the links that you guys will go to to make sure that you put out a good product. Uh, it, it's, it, no, thank you. And, and Lisa is so amazing. I've seen photos of, of her desk when she's blending and it's, it, it's amazing to see it. It's really, um, and, and she shared so freely of her knowledge with us. It's, we can't speak highly enough about her and, and what they do. Um, and, and yeah, as you were saying, just that, that intense focus that, that so many folks have and the, we, we all got together, um, I forget, that seems like forever ago now, um, right, we got right. together to, to mill some, some grain. Um, and, and even though we were all socially distanced, all masked up, all to be able to bring bottles and, and invariably when you gather with other distillers, it's like whether they bring a cardboard box out of the car or whether they just start pulling things out of random pockets or it's always, oh, no, 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 try this. Okay, you tried that, now let now try this thing that I, and, and just the excitement with which folks share, but also just the the focus and, and the drive to create those experiences for other folks um, is is so much fun. And, and I think with, with so much of prohibition and, and even just coming out of it, that history and, and that, tradition of, of learning from elders how to imbibe in a way where where you're discussing so much of of the experience of imbibing was was probably lost due to sort of the speakeasy culture and, and everything that kind of came out of it but the to, to have that that culture be reborn and, and to see other distillers get to do that amongst themselves it's almost like a, uh, a preview of, of what's going to happen once, because once we try the different releases, it's like, oh, that one's really good. You should definitely be doing more of that. Or it, it's sort of what's coming down the pipe for other folks. So, yeah, it's, it's so much fun watching folks um, j- just share and, and yeah, re- really just sort of push each other to do better and, and not in a bad way at all, but just, uh, just seeing that, that, someone else is doing that and, and really the the inspiration it provides to others and and the um the, the camaraderie of it is is really um pretty special oh i can only imagine especially uh when like i'm a comedian and when comics get together you sit around and you try to crack each other up you guys oh. get together and you're sitting there trying to uh this is what i'm bringing to the table and the oohs and ahs that you get out of it it's the same it's that same communal spirit, just uh, yours Yours makes your belly warm. Well, and, and that's it. And, and just like um, like a comedian who's trying out new material, when certain things you think may land don't necessarily land in front of a, of a crowd. or But but when they do and, and you get that, that yeah, that, that warm glow that, that I'm that chemically, I'm sure, is some endorphin release that it, it's just, it's addictive and it's, it's nice to be able to, it's nice to be addicted to making other people feel good. Yes. Um, it's, there, there's not a lot of, I guess, healthy addictions, but that one seems to be, seems to be okay. So, but, but yeah, it really, but like you were saying amongst comedians and I think with, with comedians too, their comedians are so hard to make laugh and, and so it's such a challenge. It's, it, with distillers, they're—I don't know what it is—that they're looking for reasons to support you in a way where 
and, and not that, that comedians can't be that way as well, but I know, and maybe it's just the, the comedy is so competitive as well. I, I think that's what it is. Uh, your good buddies, there's, I'm sure in all industries, there's some people that like to help you and there's other people that would maybe like to see themselves go first. Uh, sure. Comedy, there's, because uh, our paths may have even crossed years ago and we didn't even know it. Uh, we lived in New York for about 15 years and it's just, there's so many people there all trying to do the same thing. Uh, it's, as it happened for me, all of your good friends are the ones that you came up with and your good buddies are the ones that you would only ever be happy for when success presents itself to them. Like you never wished anybody um, to, to fail ever, like ever, ever, ever. Sure. But you definitely could smell out the folks that were going to be lifers versus the ones that, that might not, uh, might not come back next week, so to speak. For sure. When, and again, I think there's just that sort of when you love something so much that you're just too dumb to know when to quit kind of thing. Well put. Yeah. Where you're just, you just want to be close to it in whatever way that you can. Um, and, and yeah, it's no, that, that's, uh, that's really interesting. I, um, I had a brief, uh, brief view into, into the New York, uh, New York comedy world. My, my kudos to you. That's man. Talk about a challenging world and New York audiences are, they're brutal. They're looking to, it's like, apart. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like, no, I have a two drink minimum. What, what, what makes you think you're funny? Make me laugh. Make yeah, me exactly. Laugh. Make me you're laugh. That funny, oh yes. I remember, uh, one of the moments that, that for me told me that I was getting it because you've got to have a, a, a sense of protective confidence to keep going uh, because you're going to suck in the beginning. Uh, but one of the things, and I'm, similar to like the first time you saw somebody take a sip of something you had made and just that, that like moment of bliss that they had. Uh, I was doing a show in Times Square, like one o'clock in the morning, the fricking the drugged out drunk time. And there was a dude, he had to have been on something because he was basically passed out for most of the set. And then I get up there and I started doing something and he came to life and started laughing at my set. And then I got off and he went right back to sleep. Oh, so, <laughs> one of well, those moments where like, doing something right. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Well, hey, if you can bring people out of a uh, drug-induced stupor to appreciate your comedy, I'd say that's pretty, uh, that's impressive, especially at Times Square at one o'clock in the morning. Talk about competition. Oh, man, it was always brutal, especially the Times Square clubs, because they had all been told, Chris Rock's here. Robin Williams is here. And then they get there, and it's just, um, it's you and not Robin Williams. So you always had that hill to climb immediately. And and the uh, the folks that that opened who may or may not have actually warmed up the crowd or just made them more hostile. I was going to say the the people that go in front of you, uh, they always it, a, a comedy show. You've got to pad it if you've got green in the mix. You can't you can't throw them up top because you're going to sour the crowd. It's almost like if you've got moldy rye, you're going to turn the whole batch bad. Uh, but you got to, if you've got green, put them in the middle, put them, sandwich them between good and good so that you don't turn the entire show. Uh, one thing, it's very interesting. The, the more we talk, the more our paths have been sort of parallel. Uh, I started in North Carolina, uh, similar to you leaving Pennsylvania for New York, uh, 
graduated college, wanted to go to the city, was in the city for about 15 years, came back to North Carolina. What, what for you led to that decision? Like you, you were in New York, you were doing hospitality. Were you also doing some web marketing or digital marketing? I was, so I had been doing um, the, the digital marketing um, in between uh, and then actually gone into hospitality. I was doing the digital marketing um, and then September 11th happened. And it was, uh, it was one of those things. I always tell my wife, it's sort of like uh, Billy Crystal's character in City Slickers where he goes to career day. And I believe if, I'm, if I remember correctly, he's an advertising uh, sales guy for the radio and it's career day at the school and, and their kids are asking what he does. And can you touch it? Can you feel it? Can you? And after September 11th, um, I think a lot of people in New York did, did some soul searching and sort of uh, realized that, that everything could sort of change tomorrow and do, you got to sort of follow your bliss. So I, um, I wanted to work with my hands. I wasn't exactly sure how I knew I enjoyed storytelling and never realized how much storytelling there is in the hospitality industry. Um, and working in hospitality, um, got to meet so many other creative minded folks who in New York, the joke is, you know, always that your waiter's never just a waiter. They're always doing something else. There's always, so, uh, they have a call time tomorrow they have to be in for. Um, so with, with so much of that, it, it was great exposure. And then in New York, it, there was the local food movement happening at the time. And, and so many folks talking about, the traditions and the food traditions of where they came from. I never realized growing up in Lancaster County, the sort of embarrassment of riches that, that we had. And, and I think that happens when, when you're very blessed with something, sometimes you, you can very easily take it for granted and starting to see some of the things that were popping up on menus. Some of the people were friends of mine who were working then in their parents' agricultural businesses, selling things in the city and doing, and the, the light sort of went on that there's some very rich um, traditions that, that are probably starting to go away if, if it's like anything everywhere else. So started to explore those. And, and the first thing that sort of jumped out at, as soon as I started to look at that was that the birthplace of, of American whiskey, again, according to the National Register of Historic Places, was seven miles away. And that I was a local history buff into food and didn't know that was really sort of took both my wife and I aback. So I think it, it sort of set us off on the path of discovery and then realizing that this tradition existed, wasn't being necessarily, Dick Stoll's aspect of it wasn't being preserved at that time, and but it was something that, that we needed to do. And I'm sure much, much like your journey, sometimes you feel like it finds you as much as you find it, which it sounds crazy. And if someone else said it, I'd be like, oh, sure, you know. Sure, long-haired man bun guy, but it, it really, um, I, having experienced it, I, I don't really know how else to describe it other than in, in so many ways it, it finding us as, as much as we found it. I think people that love what they do, it, it the only people that would hear what you just said and think, yeah, right, are the people that it hasn't happened to. I think uh -huh. when you're doing what you're put here to do, there is definitely an aha moment where you do it and it resonates with you and it just clicks that, okay, this is right. This is accurate. Well, and, and yeah, that, that's exactly it. I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head and it's the kind of thing where, again, it, it sounds so stupid, but who in their right mind likes to be 
burned by steam, right. wet with mash all the time, de- dealing with all kinds of lifting and danger and whatever. Nobody in their right mind. But right. I, I couldn't, I don't know that I could do anything else at this point. It, it's one of those things that the the process of it is is so alluring and the um, the, the ability to keep that, that tradition alive is, is really exciting. And, and the fact that consumers react to it because, because the reality is that preserving history is great and, and doing what you love is great. But if people aren't willing to support that or, or the market's not willing to support that, it, it's very, very challenging to continue with that. So for us, we're, we feel so blessed also that the folks have been so appreciative of, of what we've done and, and that um, folks do enjoy the end product and, and have been so supportive. We just released the, um, the Dick Stoll bourbon, as you mentioned, and for us as, as a little distillery here in Lancaster County, sort of not, you know, we're an hour and a half from Philly is, is sort of the closest city and we sold out of, of that, that barrel in, in under two days, which for us was was just exciting to, to see that the folks are, interested in honoring Dick's legacy and, and encouraging us to, uh, to sort of keep doing what we're doing. Totally. Hey, I've got my bottle. It's on its way right now. Uh, cheers. I, I hope you, I hope you enjoy it and, and drink it in good health for sure. Oh, I most definitely will. I'll, I'll have to send you guys a picture when it arrives. Ah, uh, we, we look forward to it. Uh, you are absolutely correct. Uh, with Pennsylvania's history in the whiskey game, it goes back even further at one point, Pennsylvania was the epicenter of whiskey for America, wasn't it? Like way, way, way back when. It definitely was. And, and the interesting thing is um, our, our industry allows us to, to travel to Kentucky quite a bit, which is sort of the, the modern um, spiritual home and, and certainly the birthplace of bourbon in, in America. And for us, it's so interesting to talk to the folks down there. I'm sure you're familiar with, with the brand 1792. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's called 1792, which, which you're probably aware of as well, is that's when Kentucky became a state. So when you look at the immigration from, from Europe to Kentucky, we were in, in Pennsylvania. There's been folks here since 16, you know, later 1600s, but a lot of immigration in, in the mid 1700s. And the way geography works and, and the way boats work, you kind of have to stop at the coast. So as so many of the folks in Kentucky freely admit, their relatives started here. And basically, if you weren't the oldest male child, you either had to go west or south because there wasn't really anything for you back home. So, so many of the folks that, that ended up in Kentucky started in Pennsylvania. And if, if you go down to, to the um, Jim Beam Distillery, the, the top of their lineage wall, sort of three stories high, they reference Berks County, Pennsylvania, where Jacob Bohm first lived, got off the boat and, and then ultimately packed up his still and headed headed down to Kentucky. But yeah, it's really um, so fascinating to see how the lineage passes through. And, and even a lot of folks um, sort of will, will get it backwards a little bit and say, well, isn't it amazing you guys have water like Kentucky? And it's so funny because a lot of the folks who left here went to Kentucky and found similar water, which it's high in, in dissolved limestone and not only just high in dissolved limestone, but also happens to have dolomite in the dissolved limestone as well. Um, not uncommon with, with Scotland actually as well. Um, so really um, fascinating how 
there's, there's the history and there's the similarities, but there's a lot of reasons for the similarities. And also at, at one point, whiskey was essentially medicine and currency at a time where when you had a lot of grain to preserve, there wasn't really a great way to do it or to, or to transport it. Uh, they also now believe that a lot of the Salem witch trials were based on rye that got moldy. I was wanting to talk to you about that. I, yeah. I, I didn't know if I read that correctly. They they blamed a lot of the witchcraft, uh, like she's a witch, based on possibly yeah. rye that had gone bad and, and turned into a hallucinogen. That's exactly where it's it's ergot and it, it will form on on rye. And they, they said there was a particularly um, rainy uh, harvest that year. And, and basically some of the grain was put away wet. And then you see that in the fall, again, when, when they started seeing those witches and then supposedly spring, that sort of went away and, and there were less sightings. And if, if you look online, uh, PBS actually funded a study at one point where they exhumed some of the bodies and, and actually proved that, that that was at least partially what was happening. There were some political motivations that sort of continued it as well. Um, and there was also another instance, I believe, around World War I in France as well. So it, it definitely has happened throughout history where in this area, um, they were certainly not trying to recreate that, but it was also was the frontier at that time as well. So when we think about uh, even currency, it, the, the idea of colonial currency, there was no federal government to print the currency. States had individual currency. And then depending on who had won what battle or what state you were in during the revolution, that currency wasn't necessarily valuable. So if you were heading west or south or anywhere, really, it was a heck of a lot easier and, and more liquid, pun intended, to have whiskey than it would have been to have uh, cash in, in any way. And th- there just wasn't much cash really available at that time. I'll take whiskey over dollars any day of the week. That's it. Well, and, and even just what, what you just said too, dollars, where we're a British, we're former British colony, we should be the American pound. But because right. the Spanish had so much money, uh, a lot of the, the money that was sort of melted down before they sent it back to Spain, the doyar, the Spanish doyar was more prevalent in colonial America. So that's how we became the American dollar and not the American pound. So again, really interesting with, with so much of that history. That's super interesting. I I wanted to ask you, I had someone ask me the other day, what about the limestone plays such an important part in the production? So that's a great, that's a great question. So with so much of distilling, there's knowledge and then there's sort of the superstition that's been laid over the knowledge. And then there's everything still yet to be discovered that either makes the previous knowledge inaccurate or confirms the the previous um, superstition. And with that, I think the limestone, to my knowledge, helps not only filter out impurities and and basically helps filter out rust as well, uh, or iron that that could be in in the whiskey um, that that could add to both um, oxidization that would lead to off notes um, and, and color as well. Um, it is the way that it's been described to me. Also, um, the effect on pH of the whiskey as well, um, and the the nutrients for the yeast as as they're fermenting. Oh wow! So it's almost like an internal protectant. 
Yeah, it, it's it's really fascinating, and and it's one of those things where everybody talks about source water with whiskey, and and what's interesting is a lot of whiskey is bottled using RO water versus osmosis water. We're we're filtering out most of the particulate. There still is some some um, mineral content that definitely makes it through, but where it's it's really playing a, a big role is in the fermentation process for sure. That's awesome. Uh, on that note, I, I, we've talked a lot about whiskey. I, I wanted to ask you, what, what, what are, what's your go-to sipper? Like, I know you, uh, what you produce is amazing. What is your daily drink? Like, do you, do you, is it Stolen Wolf? Do you prefer uh, something else? Like, what, what's your, when you want to have a sip, what do you, what do you take a sip of? So for us, it's, it's such a challenge in that there's so many amazing new whiskeys that are constantly coming out. And for us to, we look at, at palate sort of like a, a muscle and, and uh, going to the gym. So with us, we try to really experience as many different types of whiskeys as we can. Uh, it, it's such a, the, the challenge is that for us, being in the industry, we're so busy producing that I actually have less time to drink the whiskey than I did before I was in the industry. But for us, um, truly trying to experience the the variety that's out there is is really exciting. I tend to be more of a rye drinker myself, um, and it's it's interesting how my wife and I um, and and my father all have similarities in what we enjoy, but. I know my wife appreciates maybe a little bit more bitter um, aspects of things. Um, my dad maybe higher proof than I do. Where it, it's interesting between the three of us to see and, and even to talk as we're tasting to see what the others are are experiencing. So I think for for us, um, really the the variety is is so exciting. And then it sounds so so stupid, um, but the whiskeys that our, our friends have, have produced and, and knowing the backstory, you can't help but but enjoy it slightly more, which, which is silly. You know that that you're um, imbuing it with special characteristics, but but getting to uh, getting to try those is is uh, always really exciting. No, that makes perfect sense because you're always if it's a buddy, it's you're happy that it's there and you're happy that it's good. So it kind of combines into like a, a Voltron of happy for them. Well, that, that's exactly it. And, and also I've been trying to even um, experience some, some Apple brandies. Really? As well, just or even other brandies. Um, we, we started producing an Apple brandy here. Um, there have been apples grown on the site where the distillery was uh, by a relative of ours going back to 1730s. Um, and the, the apples we got, it's eight varieties grown by, by a local Amish farmer. So uh, for us, the, the tradition and the, the chance to sort of express to all with the apples was, was really exciting. But what I quickly realized was that I don't have a lot of experience in enjoying apple brandy to discuss where ours falls within that. And, and we knew that we wanted our apple brandy to be more apple and less whiskey-like was sort of the only, and, and yeah. And, and so for us sort of discovering what, what else is out there um, with, with that has been, been really exciting as well. Um, and, and so many of the whiskey characteristics um, in the apple brandy and then the differences that enable you to sort of compare and contrast and enjoy the whiskey through that, that comparing and contrasting, if that makes sense. 
Oh, it completely does. I love trying them side by side. Uh, doesn't have yeah. to be within the same family. Like you could have last night. We um, we just Russell's Reserve ten year oh. right next to an Eagle Rare ten year, and just oh, wow. going back and forth. The color is so similar, but then yeah. immediately the noses are different. The palette's different. Uh, it, it's just trying as many things as you possibly can is always the answer I give people when they ask me what they should try next. And, and that's the hardest part too. It's, it's, um, it's a great total first world problem to have <laughs> that, that, you know, oh, there's so many great things that, to try, but, but it really is. And, and then it's one of those things too, where then you find stuff you really like and you're like, Oh wow, I, I should just buy a lot of that and then drink it. But then there's so much new stuff coming too. So it's, Again, very good problem to have. And I think at some point folks will look back on now and say, in, in the way that folks look at the age Hirsch that Dick produced, and when it came out, it was $100 a bottle. People said, no, well, I'll pass for right now. And some folks bought it. And then now that it's like $2,000 a bottle, everyone says, wow, at 100 I really should have bought it. <laughs> I think a lot of folks will look back now and say, oh, wow, there was so much amazing value to be had. It just wasn't necessarily recognized at that time that that it was so affordable because it, it does seem expensive because the market continues to evolve but again we we try to our, our bottles are in the like 60 dollar range um which um again it's you, you a solid price point for the quality yeah that, that's it we try to make sure that that it's affordable for folks and and it's hard with whiskey as well where a bottle of wine usually you're consuming in a sitting maybe two um, for it's about four glasses where with whiskey, we don't advise consuming it in a single sitting. We, you know, we're not here to judge, enjoy as, as you would like responsibly. Of course, responsibly. That's more than, uh, than, than a sitting. So <laughs> it's more of a lay at that point, not, not so much of a sitting. Well, and everybody's, I, I love that people are finally getting on the rye train. Uh, I've been a fan of rye since the beginning or since, since I started drinking bourbon, I, I always loved the spice that a rye held. Uh, there's so many great ryes on the market right now. It's almost like people are finally getting on board with something that was a very polarizing spirit uh, uh, initially with, with this current wave of consumer. Well, and I think it's really interesting. Um, and, and I, I, agree with with what you said we use the analogy for a lot of folks that if i handed you a mug and i said hey try this great lemonade that i made and it was actually iced tea and you took a sip without looking you you may like lemonade a lot but you're or i'm sorry you may like iced tea a lot but your brain is expecting lemonade and that acidity when you're expecting the opposite is is sort of off-putting I think with the prevalence of bourbon and with so many folks experience with American whiskey being bourbon, if you're expecting the sweetness of bourbon and you get the spice of rye, it can be sort of confusing to some folks or, or it can be off-putting where I think if they're more aware of, of what ryes have to offer and, and what the typical characteristics are of the rye before they're trying it, Sometimes it helps folks wrap their mind around it a little bit more. Uh, and it's interesting, prior to Prohibition, rye was sort of the dominant style in the United States um, amongst folks, at, at least in the North. Um, so you wonder if, if over time, have, have consumer palates shifted or is that what people traditionally had drank? So they just continue doing that? It'll be interesting to see 
over time, but, but Rye is certainly making huge, huge inroads. I can see that. I can see rye being big up north because it's got spicier, it's a spicier uh, uh, spirit. So in the cold of New York winter, I could definitely see sitting down with a rye. Uh, I I don't know about you. When I was up north, I was a big scotch guy before I got back down south. I was talking to uh, Rob Samuels the other day and he was asking me, what was your brand? And I said, Lafroig. And uh, he asked, and this goes back to your lemonade iced tea. Uh, he asked me how long it took me to grow to like Lafroig, because a lot of people say it's their favorite, but I think you can see when they take their first sip that they are not expecting that peat. I had the uh, a very uh, unique way into scotch where Lafroig was the first scotch I ever tried. That was what wow. my buddy introduced me to first. So everything wow. from that point on, that was my measuring stick. I knew that I loved the smoky, peaty goodness that is Lafroig. And anything after that, it was kind of like, oh, okay. It's not as, it's not quite as, uh, not quite as. Yeah. <laughs> but that's no, like, I know exactly what you mean. And I think that that tends to happen too in a lot of product categories where folks in the beginning, they view it almost as a monolith where to some folks, scotch is scotch, and it's peat, and it's the the regions and the nuance within that to them are are maybe too subtle, or or their palate doesn't recognize that, or they just haven't been exposed to it. And I think with rye, it's very similar in that there's fifty one percent or more to be classified as a rye, but that other forty nine percent, one percent away from half, so so much variability in there. And, and Dick Stoll's thought on that and, and what he had learned from Charlie Bean was just that at 30% corn in our rye, you're getting, you're getting some sweetness, but the sweetness bolsters the spice in that the same way you add a little bit of coffee to a chocolate cake to amp up the cocoa flavor, not to add, choc- not to add coffee note, but to round out the, the flavor of the chocolate. Same thing with, with the corn in RI. But that said, if, if you change that by 10% or 5%, that would be a different, a different rye, or even took the the takeoff proof off the still and made it different, or or the barrel entry proof or or the bottling proof. So with, with rise too, it's I think for some folks somewhat new and then a little bit daunting because to learn with, with bourbon, folks are aware that they're hot, that there's weeders or that there's different and, and they sort of can triangulate. What we encourage folks to do that as well, where if they love our rye or hate it, just to know that it's it represents one style of rye and that there's going to be notes and characteristics that carry over to all the ryes, but that there is still variability in there as well. So not to necessarily prejudice their other experiences based on either rise they've had previously or on ours sort of moving forward. But, but like you said, when you find the one that sort of really appeals to you, 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 you just know it. it, it just sort of, sort of lands. And, and um, I think for a lot of folks, it, um, finding that style too can be a little bit of a challenge. Just as we were discussing with, with craft spirits, the trying the different expressions can be a, can be an investment um, for folks where sometimes with craft beer, it's, it's a little bit easier. You, you can get a can of something or you can try something. And, and that's where, for a lot of folks, going to a whiskey bar is a great experience in that 
you could try something without having to buy a whole bottle and really see what, what the different expressions are. And even some of the single barrel expressions are just, we, we talk to folks all the time where music's a great analogy with it. And, and when you have folks harmonizing, when you've got sort of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young together, you get that great harmony. You have any one of those guys as an individual solo artist and there's notes of, of the, you can, it's reminiscent of the whole, but very unique in, it, in its own way as well. And, and maybe a little bit less compromising to the whole. And, and, and that harmony is great, but the more voices, the less unique one is. So even for us to, to get folks to try some of the single barrel expressions within the rise are, are really fun as well, just so they can see how the barrel really influences it. And the fact that we talk about barrels sort of in the way that we talk about, um, you know, other commodities when, when barrels can be wildly different from the same manufacturer and, and same specifications. That's the beauty of the puzzle piece. I mean, the, the, putting the whole thing together is, is you can change one little piece and the, the whole product shifts. Uh, it, it is. It, it's exciting and daunting at the same time, too, because it's like I, if the Beatles could make Sgt. Peppers with 16 tracks, now we've got unlimited recording and it's hard to match Sgt. Peppers with. So sometimes, too, it's like the... It, it's it's so exciting and invigorating to know that you can try something new every day for the rest of your career and and you'll always have something new to try the hardest and, and scariest part is just trying to lay enough of it down that that you can replicate it and and have a wide enough release that, that you can get it out to other folks as well uh, a lot of distillers talk about the fact you get basically if you're if you're lucky you get two chances to make a 20-year whiskey in your life and that the pressure about, yeah exactly and it, again first world amazing pressure to have but you you want to you want to do the best you can so and, and that's where again seeing seeing folks like lisa with just their their copious notes and and just their extremely amazing analytical approach to it is just so um, so great to to learn from folks like that as well um, is yeah just the pressure that it has to put on you uh, you just you mentioned the Beatles uh, imagine if if I was thinking about this the other day if they had the technology that we have now and they were at their stride during this time period everything that they did you saw it when Prince died all of these things that they would not have wanted released. Would, would be getting released at this point uh, just because somebody out there could make money off of it uh, and that consistency might suffer as a result. You have built a beautiful product that people really enjoy and, and just, it, it seems daunting to me to the task of creating consistency with that flavor profile. It's, it's truly impressive that you're able to do that. Oh, thank you very much. That's very kind of you to say so. It's um, it's definitely something that that we uh, obsess about quite a bit here. Uh, we're constantly taste this, smell that, dude. What do you think? And then pulling and and we have a flavor library of all of our previous releases so that we can compare them with with the others because you. We always say that we don't think consumers will mind if the flavor differs slightly in the positive direction, right. as long as it's a little bit better than what you were expecting, that's fine. It just shouldn't be the other way. So, 
So we try to embrace the variability when it's sort of a happy accident. Um, in, in my New York server days, I had, um, I, again, you're a kid, you're, you're running around, there's a lot of famous people in New York, and, and I had this great gentleman who was, was an older gentleman, had these amazing glasses, and seemed very European, and, and uh, I messed up his order, and, and I was very honest with him, I, I messed it up, I apologize, I, and he said, you know what, let's just leave it where the good Lord flung it. I think this was uh, what the universe wanted me to have for dinner. And that was Mike Nichols, the guy that directed The Graduate. Diane oh, Sawyer's that's awesome. Husband. Yeah, <laughs> Diane Sawyer's husband. And he was the coolest guy ever. But but he, he taught me in that moment that you, you have to look sometimes through those happy accidents and look for those moments where it can be better. And, and you can sort of embrace the variability. And I think as small guys, we, the big guys joke, we'll, we'll spill more in a day than we'll make in a year. And, and that's very true. And they're amazing at what they do. The only reason I'm able to even talk to, to someone like you is they carried that torch and they made American whiskey something that people wanted to drink for a long time when a lot of folks didn't care about American whiskey. They, they kept those fires burning. And, and that's, that's amazing to provide that consistency around the world for as long as they have, but they're very big and, and they're very, to produce as much as they do, you have to bring in automation. You have to do things a certain way every time. For us, because we're so small, if a fermentation goes a few degrees warmer because we didn't happen to notice it and ends up turning out better, that's something we can make a note of and, and incorporate and something that those, that variability for us on a smaller scale is it's a challenge because we're so much smaller and, and less efficient than the big guys, but sometimes that inefficiency can lead to those, those moments of discovery. So that's something we, we also try to be open to as well. And, and in honoring Dick's legacy, trying to look for, for ways that we can make it ever better as well. And, and I think Dick, when he was producing, never asked himself how they made whiskey in the late 1800s and denied himself the the technology or the, the ability to do it better. It was how using modern technology can we make this as good as we possibly can. And and for us, the same thing where we're, we don't have any automation except our feed and our, our um, takeoff on, on the still for the bottoms. But that um, sort of inefficiency and that, that uh, is it enables us to, to really um, hopefully hone our craft at the end of the day. Well, and that's what makes the craft distiller special. Uh, those little mistakes or not mistakes, but those little shifts and then you being able to hand test it and, and catch it and see that it is something that's going to amplify versus detract. That's something that one of the national uh, 40,000 barrel guys, they might just look at a sheet of paper and go up, oh, that's off, throw it out where you guys are catching it and realizing that it's a positive, not a negative. And then boom, your entire product just grew. That That's yeah, that, that's certainly the hope on our end. And then, and then uh, there's always sort of that, that little voice in the back of your head. That's like, just don't mess it up. Just don't mess it up. <laughs> so it, it, it's a great, great problem to have, but yeah, it's uh, de- definitely um, something where, both the repetition and and the chance to sort of ever refine it is is a uh, if I have to spend the next forty years of my life doing something I I think this is something that that I could 
easily uh, and, and happily dedicate dedicate to. So. Well, I can hear the passion that you have for it and everything that you've said. Uh, you're definitely you're paying tribute to Dick with every bottle that you distill. So I think you're doing a great thing. Thank you so much for saying so. And now we've talked about rye. We've talked about whiskey for so long. Uh, you guys have sent me a couple goodies. Would you like to taste a little bit of whiskey? Sure. That'd be fantastic. I was watching uh, a video and, and I always ask, is there any specific way that you having done it for so long that you taste and you have a very interesting approach. Everybody that I've spoken with, they, they say what they say. You've got a solid logic behind a three sip uh, experience. Like when you taste, you, you say to try it three times. And I find that very interesting. So, and, and for us, um, we, the, the, to me, sort of the, the Bible that, that I go back to um, is, is Lou Bryson's book, uh, Tasting Whiskey. And, and it's something where I've, I've had the chance to hear him speak in dinners um, and, and also read his book. Uh, he's a local guy, so I've had the chance to meet him as well, where the, the approach that he takes to it and, and the sort of demystifying of, of the process um, to, to us is is sort of the, the basis of, of what we try and, and teach folks as well. And I, I think with the, the sort of three sip ability, that, that's something we, we definitely borrowed from Lou where it, it seems like it, it sort of takes that for the palate to be able to fully recognize what, what it's experiencing. And at the end of the day, it, it is sort of a a muscle that needs to be trained. Um, we, as, as humans, our, our palate wasn't developed to sort of seek out ethanol. Um, so it, it's certainly something that um, getting past that that burn for some folks can be a challenge. But but once you do, it's amazing the um, the flavors that that present themselves. Oh, I'm super excited! Uh, I, I I'm beyond excited to try this. So uh, would you like to start with the, uh, with the blended and then move on to the rye? Sure. That, that'd be fantastic. You know what? Let me, let me, uh, sorry, my assistant has, uh, has stepped away. Let me, uh, let me grab, uh, actually, oh, I'm sorry. Could I trouble you for samples of the blend and the rye? And the rye, sure. Um, I, I think maybe starting with the blend might be best um, just in that it's a little bit sweeter um, than, than the rye. Um, it's also just slightly lower in proof. Um, the, the 86 proof was Dick's um, sort of signature signature proof and, uh, and where he felt um, like the, the bourbon really uh, shine as well. Um, our releases are all filtered, but non-chill filtered. So hopefully retains um, some of that, that fat and oil as well. That's another thing that everybody, it's all chill filtered. Could you explain a little bit chill filtered versus non-chill filtered? Sure. So, and, and um, I, I always say to my knowledge, just to make sure I'm not misspeaking um, as well. Um, sorry, blend is there. Great. Thank you. Um, with, with chill filtration, what it does is when, when you're chilling the whiskey, basically you're encouraging the fats and the oils to coagulate. And when you're passing through the filtration medium, there, there's a lot of different things folks use to filter. But as it's passing through to get those fats and oils to sort of stick on the filter or stay, be large enough that, that they're filtered out as you're, as you're filtering the whiskey. And there, there's so many different um, mediums. And then even within that, 
micron sizes as well, where you could theoretically take an aged whiskey and filter all the color out of it and and make it a, a white whiskey. I don't know why anyone would want to do that, but but in theory, you you could do that. So I, I think um, for us, Dick definitely had a very specific method of filtration and um, a a very specific way of doing it that he felt. In in his his words, polish the whiskey um, a, a little bit. So with with the chill filtration, what they'll do is they'll they'll cool it down, usually using something like glycol, and then get it so cold that as it passes through the filter, that particulate or those fats and oils don't make it through. For us, we feel like there's a lot of flavor in there, and and we we do filter to to take out the the, the barrel particulate, but try, do our best to leave as much of the fat and oil in uh, in there as possible. That's awesome. You are a wealth of knowledge, sir. I, I appreciate you walking me through that. Oh no, please. Some of it's even true. So it's uh, <laughs> uh, so with um with, with the blend. Um, I'm not sure which batch uh, you have in front of you, but for us, um, batch twenty three. Okay, fantastic. That's that's the same one we have. Um, so with with this, um, I don't know if uh, I. It's it's always interesting tasting with folks where I love to allow them to to taste and. I'm always worried that if if I say something that because my name's on the bottle, they feel compelled to agree, agree, or, right. or they feel like they might be being rude in some way. So it's always interesting to let other folks sort of go first, just so you don't. I'm I'm always afraid of um, sort of coloring the, their impression. It, it was so great to see you just rub your hands together though and smell. I love the smell. Oh, it's so, uh, and, and the, the heat of your hands, um, and, and the, the surface area, the, the evaporation, it, it's, it's a great way to, to smell as well. Oh, um, I love the expression that everyone's palate's like a fingertip, like a, like your own, your own unique, uh, fingerprint. And, and so by you, what you just said, not telling me what you experienced doesn't, hinder my experience at all. It, it's, I completely agree with you. Uh, I, I love it when people say, um, oh, I'm getting hints of uh, hints of toasted marshmallow. And then everybody in the room, I'm guilty of it as well. As soon as you hear it, you're like, yeah, yeah, toasted marshmallow, me too. It, it's uh, it, very difficult. Not The power suggestion with, with flavor is, is very strong. Um, and, and what we also try to encourage as well, and, and there's no wrong way to do it, but in, in our attempt to democratize the process, we try to make references that are as accessible as possible as well. We're toasted marshmallow. Everyone's had a toasted marshmallow. Occasionally you get folks that are referencing the lavender fields of Provence in, in springtime at, at sunset, which is great if you've been there, very specific. And, right. and the average person has not done that in, in the U.S. So it it's a great way of sort of showing everyone what you know and, and your past experiences, but it doesn't really help unite people o- over the flavor. All right. So I'm going to go in for the nose. Very complex nose. So, and, and something that I saw a gentleman do once and I, 
I've learned that I, they fill libraries with things I don't know. Um, so I, there's a lot I have to learn, but I once saw a gentleman really interacting so physically with his Glen Cairn glass and the angles with which he tipped it and the distance that he moved it from his nose. And it's so interesting to see at the angle and the distance, aromas do stratify and there is a sort of a weight to them. And you'll see, so one of your nostrils will trade off and be more swollen than the other, usually about every two hours. But depending on how you tilt the glass and the distance, different aromas do tend to sort of arise out of there. I've, I've tried so many different ways. I, I, I think my least favorite was the one where I got it too close and at too much of an angle and accidentally poured 102 proof up my nose. That was my, la- that was my least favorite uh, smell so far. Well, and, and that's how the guy, Mikey, from, from the Life Cereal commercials, that's how he died, oh. right? It wasn't Pop Rocks and Coke. It was actually whiskey up the really? nose. Accidentally tasting. A lot of people don't know that. It's a cautionary <laughs> thing. So, yeah, no, it's uh, when and, and that's the other thing, too, that's so amazing is everybody's mechanics of, of the physicality, the way they taste is so different and so awesome to it, it's it's a lot of fun. It, it really and, and even um, the some folks get hung up on, on not having Glen Cairn glasses. And as we say to them, if you're using red solo cups, that's fine. Right. Just use red solo cups for all of them so that you're comparing them equally. If one's in a red solo cup and one's in a Glen Cairn, you'll probably get a different experience from, from one versus the other, not necessarily better or worse, but it's, it's, not as much of an apple-to-apple comparison. That is the one thing that I have found from the community. As much as we we love to sit around and drink whiskey with one another, I, I have noticed people will be a little never with ice or never uh, – I only drink it neat. I, I think drink it however you like to drink it. You just said red Solo cup. If the way you like to drink it's in a red Solo cup with, with five ice cubes, do you, you know? Might not be how I do it, but that's how you enjoy it. So by all means, just, just don't – don't put Diet Coke in it. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, and, and it's funny because that's that's what people used to – that was actually when Dick Stoll would be at his hunting cabin, that's what he would drink, would be whiskey with Diet Coke. <laughs> and when we wanted to blow people's minds, they're like, well, how does Dick drink his whiskey? I was like, at the hunting cabin with some Diet Coke. And that wasn't something throughout his whole life that he enjoyed it that way, but later in his life when he was, you know, by himself, just relaxing that not, and he, he definitely drank it straight and definitely preferred higher proof. But again, in a guilty moment of that was like his uh, going to McDonald's basically. So yeah, we we always sort of throw that one out there on folks are uh, just to show that there truly is no wrong way to, to enjoy it. If, if you're enjoying it, then, then you're doing it the right. I retract my late, my last statement. I will only now be drinking whiskey with diet Coke. If, if it's right. good enough for Dick Stoll, it's good enough for me. Right? <laughs> uh, I, I'm getting I'm getting butterscotch all day long from the nose. And and agreed. And and it's so interesting in the even a little bit of of the caramel aspect as well of of butterscotch with the I, I'm not well versed in the making of butterscotch, but I know there's there's um commonality sort of in the process and and really that sugary sort of uh uh brown sugar almost notes out of it as well sorry i said i wasn't no, gonna no, call no, it no. you're absolutely you're right it, it, it's it's 
Oh, it smells so good, Eric. It smells ridiculously oh, good. Wow. Cheers. Thank, thank you very much. It's, it's uh, truly a, a credit to Dick's knowledge and, and what he was able to, to teach us for sure. Oh, and it's awesome that you're carrying on the legacy. I mean, this is hope for the future right here, you know? Oh, cheers. Thank you. It, it's one of those things where we just feel so blessed to have the opportunity to do well, it. Well, you did it the right way, man. You know, you, you followed your gut. You, you, I think a lot of people spend their entire lives doing something they don't want to do because they're scared of failing at what they do want to do. And you had the opportunity, you followed your gut and it took you back home and you've created this. I mean, it's, it's just a testament uh, to knowing who you are and having the guts to do what you want to do. Oh, uh, thank you very much. Yeah. It's uh Cheers. All right, I'm going in. That's amazing. Oh, that's so good. Uh, thank you. So that was my first sip. So that means that that was the even though even though you're getting the 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 heat of the first sip, especially with it having just been opened, the flavors that you get immediately are are awesome ah uh, thank you very much we're when we when we're blending we're we're trying to create if we can a, a beginning a middle and an end note um and and that's where when a lot of folks say what what should they look for in a whiskey we always tell them that the individual characteristics will definitely vary depending on your palate and and the setting that, that you're drinking but the there should always be a synergy between the beginning middle and an end and sometimes like in scotch things that on their face don't necessarily go together the interplay between the two end up being amazing where chocolate cake and oysters might not necessarily be something that to most people go together but you try a certain scotch and suddenly there it is and it's it's delicious oh, totally so, totally yeah i, I completely uh, and just the the sweetness of this, uh, it's its not overbearing. It's a subtle sweetness. I could see it being very good with like a smoked uh, a smoked pork. Oh, cheers. Yeah, no, definitely playing nicely with the fat for sure. Okay, so second sip. This is the one where more uh, uh, the, I got the burn out of the way with the first sip. Now the second sip is going to be more of my flavor profile. Is that right? For sure. And, and sort of... Uh, acclimating uh acclimating your palate getting some of that uh fat off the tongue this is going to be a problem sir because i don't believe that you are in north carolina yet and i'm i'm not going to be able to like not have this more often that that's a problem we'll uh we'll be happy to remedy we'll have yeah. to uh have to work to to get into north carolina oh that's so good and you definitely on the second on the second taste you get that butterscotch come through. It's it's uh, it's subtle, but it's definitely there, and it's there in in a combination of the notes that you would normally get. Like I'm I'm getting hints of hints of the wood, hints of. I'm wondering now if I'm getting the brown sugar because you said it or because I'm tasting it. I, I, I was know, hesitant to I say that because uh, I no, it, you know it, how the internet works. There'll be somebody out there that goes, he just saying that because somebody said it first. I don't know why the internet's super Southern in that example. No, it's uh, it, it's so true, but it, it definitely, um, I, I think on the second sip, hopefully even um, the, the flavor is a little bit longer as well. Um, and, and we also try to, 
try to make sure it doesn't fight its way out on the end, um, that, that it ends smoothly for a lot of folks. Um, where you, you do hear a lot of folks who are newer to whiskey sort of, when you ask their opinion, they'll say smooth is, is sort of one thing that folks know that they should be experiencing. But I think what smooth is may be different for different folks. Oh, I love how it rolls around the mouth. I think you've got like, it hits every part of the tongue a different way and all in like a, a it holds hands with everything that it does. And so now, are, are, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, lead the witness here, but as we approach the third sip, are you getting a little bit more baking spice out of there? I can see, I can see I the spice. Like, it, it, it kind I of, uh, like, it kind of creeps up on you as, as the, um, as it settles. It, that, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's got dimension. It, it's got, it's definitely got dimension. It's taken you on that, uh, it's definitely taking you on that ride. Starts off sweet, yeah. then it settles. Once it settles, there's like a whole nother burst of flavors that you get from the tip of the tongue to the sides of the tongue to the back of the mouth. And and that's what we we really enjoy when when folks do do experience that that um, there is a, a variety of, of flavor in there. Um, it, it's not not just one note coming across, but with the interplay of, of hopefully a few at, at once together. And they all play together. Like none of them are competing. None of them are more prevalent than the others. It's all like a, um, it's almost like a good soup. You know, it's not, you're not getting any one ingredient too much. No, that, that's a great, uh, great analogy. And, and we, um, again, use music quite a bit or, or even with a fireworks display, if they set off all the fireworks at once, that's it's kind of scary actually but but if there's some of the some low some high some in the middle some you know you gotta have the smiley face one in there for the oh kids. yeah um but you got to they'll wonder where it's at you'll be on the way home thinking they had a good I mean, time they're like daddy where's the smiley face whole trip's ruined that, well that's it and that's traditionally why amongst like under 10 year olds our whiskey doesn't review as highly you know with with the toddler set and that's okay they're sleeping, we're, we're okay they're with, sleeping that is, which that adds is. to the parents review well and, and what's actually been a lot of fun and and my daughter is sort of a i guess a unique case because she's surrounded by it so much but to allow her to smell the whiskey and and i tried to explain to her um dick, dick still definitely became more of a grandfather figure to to all of us um, here at the distillery. But I try to explain to my daughter that sitting there and nosing whiskey with somebody like Dick Stoll would be a very fond memory for her one day. Sure, it was just Dick who was, who was always around, but even to hear her and what she pulls out of the aromas, it, it's so interesting and so, um, it, it, it's very educational for us as well. And, and even just to see her palate start to get slightly trained in that, I don't know about you, but the most unsexy, least cool things ever were the things that my parents were into. Right. So I'm hoping by that she's going to think alcohol is just really not cool at all and, and not something to uh, mess around with. To experience when you're older. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but, but it is so interesting just to um, see what, what different folks pull out of it. It, sure. It's interesting that you bring up the children. Uh, I've got two myself, and as I've been 
growing into the whiskey world, there's like that second of pause where they are too young to understand that I'm working. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, my son yesterday, he uh, he picks up uh, the glass and he's like, hmm, hmm, I'm daddy drinking bourbon. Hmm, hmm. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's uh, going to be therapy later or if that's just a well-rounded young man. <laughs> right? No, I, I think so. And I, I mean, I, I do think, uh, you know, looking at places like Europe where the traditions were uninterrupted by prohibition and it's just uh a very different um, sort of approach to it. And, and I think that even though prohibition was, was only a 20 year period, the, the laws surrounding it and, and certainly the production, um, it, it ended up being like an 80 year sort of uh, aberration. So I, I think it will take a little time for that to come back. But I think um, in general, appreciating um, daily things and, and taking things that could be mundane and sort of elevating them never seems to, to be a bad thing in, in terms of enjoyment of life. So well said. hopefully it'll, it'll be um, that type of experience. Very well said. The history, if you go back pre-prohibition, I mean, people were, what's, there's some old quote by Mark Twain where he had learned about a new whiskey cocktail. And he's like, I've had one for breakfast, one for lunch and one for dinner every day since I've been here. And, and that was not, a warning sign back in the day. That was just people were fields, uh, farms would feed their children beer because it would give them the carbs that they needed to work the fields during the day. People would drink gin because the water they had was not clean and they couldn't trust it. So gin was almost like an internal body purifier. Uh, We got really messed up by the, uh, by prohibition in terms of the American psyche towards the spirit. That's exactly it. And, and again, the, the imbibing of alcohol, I believe for, for a, a, a large part of sort of modern history in America was sort of an obstacle to the feeling that, that you would obtain by doing it where you had to add all kinds of, of really gross ingredients to make it palatable to, where I think for, for a lot of folks now appreciating the quality and, and the enjoyment and the learning about the enjoyment is, is part of the journey as well. So I, I think it um, also takes on a much more social approach that way as well. Completely. This has become almost like uh, trading baseball cards with your friends when you were younger. It, it's just going through each one and, and almost reading the stats in terms of the history of these brands, uh, your brand as well. I mean, your, your history goes back to uh, the beginning of the post-prohibition era with uh, when Dick was distilling for Michter's. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it's really amazing. I mean, this Lancaster County is still the most productive non-irrigated farmland in all of North America. So in this area, there was just so much produced that to process it here made perfect sense. And it's interesting that because of the religious aspect of, of Lancaster County, that around the 1860s, it sort of started to be scrubbed from, from family histories. And, and a lot of the grain shifted to tobacco growing because people felt like there wasn't a, a moral qualm with with growing the tobacco versus the grain for the alcohol it's so funny so it, how we we evolve into 
this is good, this is bad. And then the next generation, this is good, that's bad. And now if you look at what they're doing with marijuana right now, marijuana only being used for medicinal purposes is a direct parallel to medicinal booze that you had during the prohibition era. If you wanted whiskey, you had to have a script for it. That's exactly it. No, it, it, it's very true. And, and the ways that sort of people or, or society will test new things in, in sort of the fringes. And then once we prove that we're adults and, and there's no, you know, the, the harm is in the person itself, the, the poison is in the dose where, again, it's not the thing that's inherently bad. It's, it's the interaction with it or the approach to it. Uh, Doug Stanhope has a great quote that I like where he says, uh, the punishment is in the vice. You don't need a ticket on top of what you're already going to feel bad about if it's bad for you. That That's exactly it. It's uh, no, it, it, it's very true. And I think with, um, with with so much of that, there were so many other issues happening concurrently with prohibition. You had a lot of folks moving from agricultural areas to cities. You had a lot of mechanization that was happening and, and a lot of unemployment as a result. And, and I think some of those uh, adjustments to modern living ended up um, being conflated with with other things, and and there was access to inexpensive alcohol. So then it became a sort of an easy target for for so much of it. And then a lot of the the prohibition movement from sort of the carry nation aspect focused on on children and and the orphanages and and children who weren't able to be raised because of of the parents' behavior. And again, who who could possibly say, no, no, I, I don't want children to be raised properly. So it, it was sort of a, then once they put it in those terms, it became this really interesting sort Moral. of political, political yeah. thing. So again, where somehow science can some days become political. Apparently. Oh yes. It's, it's interesting how, especially think a hundred years ago, you would not be able, if, if the argument was we want children to be raised correctly, you could not, then say, nah, <laughs> that's not right. Yeah, that's exactly. No, I'm anti children being raised well. Yeah. Right, right. So, so it's okay for them to work the factories, but they can't enjoy a drink when they get home. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Come on. Those little fingers work so hard all day in those uh, wooden cog uh, machines. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it really is fascinating though how uh, how it does evolve over time. And we all seem to just redirect. There's that there's that thing inside people where things something has to be wrong. And if you can't process what's actually wrong, it's very easy to find something, uh, a scapegoat for what might be going on in the American psyche. And and we do every time we're good with one thing, we immediately turn on the other. Yeah, no, it, it is. Uh, it is so interesting. All right. So now we've gone in for two sips. I feel like uh, uh, I, I know uh, kind of immediately people that I enjoy talking to while doing this. I, I, I feel like uh, you and I off camera could probably sit around and talk whiskey history all afternoon. Uh, oh, I, without a doubt. Until both of our wives were like, OK, this is, you know, come on now. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, That's exactly right. it. That's exactly it. My my wife was kind enough to uh, to take me um, to a surfing lodge for uh, for my 40th birthday in Costa Rica, and you could see the same look on every other woman's face there, or, or every other spouse. Some of them were men, some of them were women. But the oh boy, another day of enduring the same things that I don't want to talk about again and again. 
and and luckily we had each other to speak to 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 alleviate their uh yeah Oh, that's awesome. When we left New York, we actually spent time in Wilmington, North Carolina, before we moved back to Charlotte, North Carolina, which if you've been in the city for 15 years, the best way to wash all of that off of you is Wrightsville Beach, Curry Beach, just surfing every day and and just really loving life. Well, and they say the best surfer is the one with the biggest smile where I, oh man, just that, uh, uh, it's it's the best. It's interesting that you're a surfer because I can completely see uh, there being a correlation between the kind of, I don't want to say mastery of nature, but the working alongside nature to achieve your goal. Like you have no control over certain things in whiskey production the same way you have no control over the wave. You're taming it in both instances. That's exactly it. Or, or attempting to, and, and that's so much of it where it's, you know, that it's their forces beyond your control and you're just attempting to do your little human part to favor the outcome. First, yeah, that's exactly right. You're, you're harnessing it to the best of your ability while in the back of your mind, knowing you have zero control over it, should it not go your way. That's exactly it. And, and there's no, um, there there's no uh illusion that that it's not in control of you at at all times basically which is yeah the ocean definitely does not care about your ego and nope. is, is very happy to uh disabuse you. you of any uh notions you may have oh completely and, and quickly my, my favorite part is always I, the wave is wonderful and riding the wave is fantastic but there is no calm quite like on your belly in the middle of the ocean, no waves on the horizon. You've got the beach in front of you. You've got the unknown behind you and you've got to be listening to all of it at the same time. There's something just very calming about that to me. It's so true and, and definitely keeps you present um, and, and in the moment for sure. It's uh, as I always say to my wife, you can't have anxiety and focus on not dying at the same time. You're just focused on not dying. And that that's a very, uh, present it, it makes you be, be very present in the moment it's interesting that's very interesting because I, I now that you say that that is very similar to stand-up like when you're on stage you have to be aware of everything around you at all times and again there is something just that puts me at peace when i'm doing that the same way that when you're on the board. When, and that little voice as you're walking up those few steps onto the stage where you're like, why am I doing this? Why? <laughs> what? Why? No, nobody in their right mind should do this. And then you do it and you're like, I got to do that again. And when, when, is, when am I going on again? That was the beauty of New York. You could do six or seven shows a night. My uh, buddy Aaron Berg, he actually has a documentary on Amazon right now where he did, I believe, 26 or 28 shows in one night, it, like like not starting at noon and going till noon the next day, like the sun went down and he somehow did that many sets in one night. And I imagine it's probably just like whiskey. I'd say between his eighth and his twelfth were probably amazing. No, it's uh, wow. That that's really unbelievable. The amount of energy that it must have took to uh, to give that to twenty eight separate audiences is pretty uh, pretty impressive. I think you could only do that in New York because the crowd will provide the energy for you. I, I don't think you could have done it if you were going. They all had to be good shows. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and even if the audience wasn't 
they didn't all have to be full, but that New York energy will catapult you more than if you were in, say, the middle of nowhere doing 28 shows in one night. Oh, it's so true. And then the second you do those 28 shows, there's someone out there who's like, I'm going to do 29 tomorrow. Immediately. Is, Immediately. That, that's just New York. Yeah. Which, it, is, which is great. Oh, completely. The, the, the competition, it, it, it mixes with the urge to do better. And I think that's where the good friends grow is, okay, oh, wow, Troy is killing it tonight. I, yeah. I got to go up next. I've got to do better than Troy. That's, Troy. that's exactly it. That, that healthy, uh, healthy competition and, and that positive aspect of, of sort of um, society and, and the social interaction as well. That's where the brotherhood comes from, I think. Yeah. All right. I know we, we could talk for a while, I feel. Uh, I've not even gotten to the third sip on this guy yet. Uh, oh, no, please. As we go into the finish, um, well, uh, first is the Hold heat, up. second is the palate, uh, 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 the flavors coming out. What, what should I be, without giving too much away, on the lookout for in my third sip? I tend to get more citrus. More citrus, okay. That is a beautifully balanced sip, sir. It really is. Oh, cheers. Thank you very much. Yeah, as it, as it sort of sits in the glass and opens, um, also the heat of, of your hand and, and the uh, interaction of the alcohol on the mouth, it, it seems like um, the, the three-sip method sort of just gives folks a chance to experience the different, um, different notes within the flavor profile. When you say, okay, I got a hint of grapefruit there for a second. And, and that sort of pith part of the grapefruit, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of it. Uh, that, yeah, that. no, it, it's so, yeah, it, it's so much fun. Sorry, I'm shaking the, uh, the computer here, but so much fun even geeking out with flavors, talking about the, the flavor, and then even drilling down within it, where it's like, oh yeah, the pith on that grapefruit. And then some folks are like, no, no, but even on the ruby red, where you're like, okay, that now you now you lost me, but yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so much so much fun to um, to discuss those things, and also to see that even within certain types of citrus or or other things, there there can be variability too, um, which, which is exciting as well. That that the lemons that you're getting from Mexico for part of the year different than the ones that come from Costa Rica at other times of the year. Or oh, totally. Uh, my family's business is tomatoes. Like uh, oh. we, my father has been selling and distributing for his grandfather and him, you know, uh, wow. there is a tomato that comes out once a year for like two or three weeks. It's called a Juni tomato. It's one of those sad stories where, 20 years ago, there was a hundred acres. And as he's gotten older, it's gone from a hundred to 75 to 25 to 15 to 10. But if you are lucky enough to get a Junie at the beginning of, of the season, when they, when they come out, you're never going to have a better tomato in your entire life than a Junie. Wow. It, it's amazing how certain um, products like that just have such a a time and a place. And, and again, the fact that you can't get it all year only makes it that much more special, but in, in so many other parts of the world, they only will have it when it's at its peak. And like in Italy, it's like, well, we have this then, well, what about the rest of the year? It's not good that you don't have. It. That's something that we've really missed out on. I think our parents growing up 
they knew that you got an avocado at this time of year. Now you can't go to a grocery store and get an avocado in December like we can. So you kind of lost that. The closest I can equate it to is, do you remember when we were growing up, you could only catch Ghostbusters on television in September? Like you had to make sure Ghostbusters came on like around Labor Day. And if you, if you didn't have a VHS player, that was when you got to watch Ghostbusters. And that's what I try to describe to my daughter is there were a few movies as kids that were, that you could watch and that you could get the adult jokes and that you could, and yes, definitely Ghostbusters was, uh, it was definitely as, as I watched Christmas vacation for the thousandth time last evening and my yep. wife, uh, is rolling her eyes that, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> uh, it's amazing with, uh, with, with that. Uh, we had them open up the rye. Oh, cheers. Cheers. Oh, we had the, uh, I, I was very fortunate. They re-released Ghostbusters in the theater last year. And I was able to take my son to watch Ghostbusters on the big screen for its 35th anniversary. Oh, wow. That's so fantastic. And how old is, is uh, your son? He would have been nine last year, eight and a half, nine. Um, I think we did it in the summer and he turned nine in July. So it would have either been right at the cusp of nine or right at the end of eight. And just to uh, watch him the entire time. Oh, that's so fantastic. My daughter uh, also uh, turned 10 this, this July as well. So yeah, it's uh, oh, 10 going on 30, but it, it's such an interesting age. Uh, they're starting to notice things, but they don't quite have uh, the awareness yet to understand what they're becoming aware of. Uh, oh, it's so true. I feel like I'm learning as much from her as, uh, as she learns from me, just sort of revisiting stuff. It, it's, it's just so their, their little, uh, their little brains and their little egos and, and how they still need constant comforting, but at the same time, they're starting to branch out and they don't need you to, to explain it to them the way they did. They're, they're, they're starting to compute things on their own. It's, it's terrifying and awe-inspiring at the same time. No, it, it's so true. We always joke. It's like in Jurassic Park when they, they're testing the fence where it's learning. We're like, oh, it's, it's learning. This, oh. this is, uh, yeah. He's going to be, he's already a little lawyer. Like if I say, he, dad, can I have a, a popsicle for my dessert? And I say, no. And then I catch him five minutes later with a bowl of vanilla ice cream. I'm like, what are you doing? I told you that you can't have that for dessert. And he goes, no, no, no. You said I can't have popsicles for dessert. This is clearly vanilla ice cream. You do not specify all the things which I was not able, allowed to have. Or, yeah. It's insane. Uh, he, he's he's going to be, he's either going to be um, a politician, a lawyer, or a supervillain. One of the three. There you go. Hopefully not all three. Well, you never know. <laughs> yeah. There's, you know, careers evolve over time. There's, 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 uh, started, you know, start one place and evolve. <laughs> it's all about the evolution. There you go. You just got to get a foot in the door and then, you know, prove that, that you're qualified. Well, I mean, if you take over the world first as a supervillain, they really have no choice but to name you whatever political office you want. That's a good point. <laughs> oh, Oh, this is immediately more pronounced. Like where the last one, you had hints of everything. This is like bursting out of the glass. Oh, I'm so glad you enjoy it. And now this one, very similar in proof. It's, it's 90 proof. So 
at the end of the day, 2% alcohol difference. I'm getting the sweetness. I'm getting, I'm still getting butterscotch, but I'm getting a lot more spice. It, it, that's, that's uh, also our, our take as well. And, and even um, a little bit of, uh, well, again, I, I don't want to color it, but oddly banana pudding in, in a oh, way. Uh, 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 banana pudding wafers, with the wafers, banana wafer pudding. Yeah, exactly. Something about that, that, to me, it just takes me back to being a kid and, and eating that. Oh, you totally just blew my mind because it's not just banana pudding. There's that smell that it gets when the vanilla wafer, vanilla, vanilla, whatever wafer has been in there for a while. And that graham cracker starts to break down with the fruit. And, and I think it's also evidence that our parents are probably just putting whiskey into our desserts so that we would sleep. But yeah, it, it, that we discovered that at the same time is uh, we, we can <laughs> develop a support group. For, no, but but really that that's there wasn't melatonin back then. Yeah, exactly. It was a simpler time. <laughs> In their defense, it exposed us to less secondhand cigarette smoke that we slept earlier. So that you know was a, a public service. That's very true. Uh, I remember I worked at a place and they had to redo all of the. Uh, file cabinets in my in my last life in marketing, and they had to redo all of the uh, furniture on the floor. And you were able to smoke in the place the last time they had done this gigantic renovation, and you could see the outlines of the furniture. Wow, that's how much they were smoking wow. at that office prior to that ending. Wow, that's wow. Oh, and he, and then when it sits for a minute, and it was a doctor's office. That was the that was the weird part. Was it? A, it had previously been a doctor's office, <laughs> right? Right. 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 That was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The uh, pediatrician's office, actually. That's exactly. Yeah. Oh, as it sits longer too, it it just it expands. It, it's it's not going away. It's doing the opposite. Like it's it's opening up. That's that's amazing. It smells very very good. All right, I'm going in. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, have you ever seen that movie, um, Beer Fest? Oh, sure. Super true. The first thing I think is I want to fill a pond with this, freeze it in the winter and skate on it, and then thaw it in the spring and drink it. That's fantastic. Anytime, uh, anytime you can reference a Broken Lizard, guys, it's, uh, it's high praise. I got to work with him one time. I got to work with Rabbit for a weekend. Oh, right on. He is one of the nicest dudes you will ever meet. It's so funny. I've heard that from anyone who's ever had contact with them, just that they were just so kind and, and really uh, a lot of fun to work with. Well, the the beauty, and I don't know if it's the same in the whiskey game, when, we, when you all get together, the war stories are almost more fun than performing with, with one another. Oh. Uh, and some of his stories just about the production and the creation of, of the group, because uh, they started in New York, or, or they, they gain notoriety in New York around the same time as the state on MTV. Uh, he was, he was a pleasure, an absolute delight. Oh, the state. That's another great, uh, mm-hmm. ballet in a very small room was, uh, was one of my favorite. And obviously Doug, it was, uh, uh, porcupine racetrack. Definitely some classic, uh, uh, my wife, she found a box of VHS tapes that we had left in North Carolina when we moved up to New York. And in there was the best of the state on VHS. Oh, wow. It was that's fantastic. Better than $240 worth of pudding. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm going in for sip number two. 
Um, I, th this is going uh, really long. I, I do uh, apologize. I, I, I hope I'm not keeping you. Oh, no, no worries. It's uh, it's definitely uh, a labor of love. So the best conversations I've had so far are with the people that I think I could easily visualize getting together with and, and drinking just on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, you were one. Lisa was another one. It's just you can tell when you're talking to good people. Oh, cheers. Thank you very much. It's uh, it, it's definitely a pleasure. It's uh, when and I, I just got sort of another childhood memory here that uh, I, I don't know if guessing we're, we're a similar age, but I don't know if your mom used to make uh, frosting from scratch. Mine did not. She used to get the Duncan Hines vanilla frosting and I would yes. surreptitiously sneak into the refrigerator and grab a spoonful of the spoonful. something about the vanilla in that frosting and in our rye uh, takes me back to, to that place. Oh, okay. Now I'm, I'm, I'm searching. I'm searching. It's the smell. It's it's the way that once it's in the mouth, it's still interacting with your nasal passages. Something about the vanilla of the, I don't know if it's the barrel character and the icing or what it is, but yeah, that, that sort of top note of the, of the icing definitely. Uh, Do you remember you'd pull off the silver top oh. and that that first skim off the top oh. right after you open the silver? That's That's what I'm getting like right there. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. The blended was good, but this is amazing. Definitely getting vanilla, but it's not an in your face vanilla. It, it's, it, it is very, it's not taking a back seat, but it's also not kicking the door down. It's just like right there playing with the other sweets that you're getting from the palate. Almost like the earthy part of vanilla. It definitely it's, it's it's more of a subtle uh earthy is a very good way to put it and now i know after this i'm gonna have to uh get some banana pudding with vanilla wafers and put a big scoop of icing on top yeah, of it. yeah right exactly it's uh all right so now sip number three I'm gonna go and and we've i did not get i, I know the first sip is for the burn mm. i did not get much burn from this like it is a very smooth rye. Oh, cheers. Thank you very much. Thank you. It, it's almost spice forward. It's not it's not overpowering spice. It's like a complimentary spice that hits you in a good way, not like a over the top way. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's um in in some ways um some of the spice and cream soda um is is sort of the uh bouquet that that we're sort of uh looking for. I can totally see that. Like in the, the Dr. Brown. Okay, so what, what should I be looking for on the third sip? Or or what, not what I'm looking for, what is... Uh... I, I keep coming, it, it, to me, keep coming back to that sort of cream, sort of that Dr. Brown's like... Um, yep. Spicy, but but still um, a little bit sweet. The, the, the Food Lion Dr. Brown's. Do you remember Hires? Oh, of course. Hires was another root beer. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, and in this area, lots of birch beer as well. I'm getting smoke too. I'm getting like a hint of smokiness with it. Oh, almost a little bit of a scotch sort of, uh, sort of smoke. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Um, and I think, um, yeah, in the finish, the, the, uh, the, just that little bit of, uh, of smoke. Just, just enough, like not too much, just enough to make you feel like you've had a smokier, experience than 
the first two sips. Ah, cheers. I'm so glad that, uh, t- so glad you like, and, and we do enjoy as it, as it evolves in the glass, just because, um, the same flavor again and again, sometimes can be cloying. The, the fact that it, it evolves, um, is, is always exciting to us. And, and part of the reason we encourage folks to take those three sips. Well, you, you called it a story. You said you were telling a story, and I believe you're definitely telling a story with both of these bottles. Oh, cheers. Thank you very much. Now, outside of Pennsylvania, how, how, how can people get this? Like, do they have to know somebody in Pennsylvania? <laughs> so, do you guys ship? We are in California. Um, we're working on um, the Maryland, Delaware, D.C. area, and we're also working on some online um, distribution so folks can, can have shipped uh, to their states. So, uh, yeah, for, for us right now, we're, we're hyper-regional, and uh, we, we're very blessed um, – in some ways, you've been victims of our own success where we lay down the whiskey we laid down and, and folks have responded so positively to it that like, OK, we need to, to actually be laying down a lot more whiskey so we can get out to these other states. So that's what we've been doing and, and uh, look forward to it, to it aging out and being able to expand. The whole thing, though, uh, your packaging, I love the label, the, it, it, the whole thing you have just done so well. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm not worried because I've got a friend that lives in Old Town and I will be able to uh, re-up whenever I need to. That's a good friend to have. That, that's fantastic. I love it. And hey, if, uh, if, if you're down uh, close to the beach, we can always hand deliver some cases uh, if, if need be. So. Hey. Uh, I will take you up on that. Is there any good surfing in PA? No, there is not, unfortunately. Um, and I, Jersey is about 60 miles due east. So I, um, thankfully, with the seasonality of our business, I, I work my tail off. And then in, in August, um, keeping fermentation temps low is, is a challenge. And um, in the, uh, the, the beach beckons. So it's uh, the end of August. I usually try and sneak away for a little bit. So. You can't beat that. If you ever want to come uh, surf the surf at uh, Curry Beach, it's North Carolina's one of their little hidden gems. It's got great waves. So the knock you'll hear in 10 minutes, that'll be me. So just, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Hey, thanks for talking to me. I know we've uh, gone longer than we had planned, but I've enjoyed speaking to you. You're truly passionate about what you do, and I think it shows in the whiskey that you produce. So thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you. I look forward to uh, hopefully being able to speak again sometime. I hope so. I think next time, if we talk again, it's just a full episode on the history of whiskey. Oh, I look forward to it. That sounds great. All right. Take care, Eric. You too. Have a great week. You as well. Bye-bye. Bye. There you have it, everybody. That's this week's episode. I want to thank Eric Wolf of Stolen Wolf for being on the show. I mean, how awesome is this guy? I could talk to him literally for another three or four hours just dissecting bourbon history and talking about whiskey and surfing, basically. We could start at the early 90s and just go from obscure comedy reference to obscure comedy reference, mix that with some delicious rye whiskey, and I think we would have another episode right there. So thank you so much for doing the show. You are a wealth of knowledge on distilling and whiskey and we just can't thank you enough for being on the program uh everybody if you're in pennsylvania go to the stolen wolf distillery it's 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 producing some of my favorite juice right now so head out and go see them it's 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 i can't put into words over audio how good this stuff is so go give it a taste go to pennsylvania give it a taste Uh, while you're doing things that my voice tells you to do click like clicks uh subscribe click 
all of the things on social media and YouTube and iTunes and Spotify and insert the thing you're listening to this on and like us, follow us there. We want to thank Will Jones for doing the music that you heard in the background of today's episode and for the intro of the Bourbon Showdown podcast. We want to thank all of you for continuing to listen. Thank you for sending in your comments. We really appreciate that. And keep sending in who you want to hear and who you want us to have on the show. I know a lot of people have been asking us to have Smoke Wagon on. Well, guess what? You're in luck. Smoke Wagon will be on a future episode of the program. Uh, Somebody wrote me and said Penelope just so happened. They reached out to us and we're going to be working with them as well. So if you think you want to hear me talk to somebody, then shoot me a note. We can make it happen. Uh, Thank everybody for listening. And we'll see you guys next time on the Bourbon Showdown podcast. But for right now, let's raise some glasses and kick some asses. My name is Jesse Jones, and I'll see you guys down the road. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.